I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Goalie Science, the podcast about goaltending and science and all things in between. My name is Ben Cernick, and this week I'm without my usual co-host, Jamie Phillips. He's in the middle of his board of Ismail exams for his Doctor of Physical Therapy program. He's in the middle of a move, so he's a busy guy, so I am on my own this week. And this week, I'm going to be breaking down the statistics for the goalies from the first round of the NHL playoffs. Uh, at the time of recording, it's 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon on May 1st, which means we have only one series left, Game 7 of the Rangers and the Devils tonight, which means those of you listening tomorrow or any day after will know who Carolina is facing. But until then, uh, all we know at this time is Carolina, Seattle, Dallas, Oilers, Vegas, Florida, and your Toronto Maple Leafs for those listening from Canada and the Toronto area specifically. But there's a few things I want to talk about today, and Jamie asked me to dive into some of the statistics because some of the narratives around this first round of playoffs have been about bad goaltending, and he wanted me to kind of to talk about whether that was true or not. But the first thing I wanted to say is, like, who is actually saying there's bad goaltending? And so the first thing I want to do is talk a little bit about just what broadcast teams and journalists and media in general have been saying about goaltending in the playoffs and how the narrative changes during the playoffs compared to the regular season, and if the same buzzwords still keep floating around. And I think, unfortunately for us in the goalie community, the buzzwords associated with the playoffs don't change from the ones that are not always the best during the regular season. I think the first thing I think of is I was watching the highlights from the Boston-Florida game, and that first goal Jeremy Swayman lets in, uh, when Montour is breaking on the rush and makes that quick backhand that goes five holes, is that multiple people announcers people after the game talking about it was Swayman was in his blue ice in his crease on that goal which means even though it went in five hole it's because he was too deep and so right off the bat we have that same old narrative that we keep dealing with and and Jamie and I have talked about this on a bunch of episodes before but depth is an important part of positioning and we have an obsession with people have an obsession with being really aggressive and challenging and I think if anyone goes and watches that goal, that first goal Simon landed on Sunday night, I'm not sure we can really blame that on his depth. Um, I think there's a few other things at play there, 
And so it's really important, again, to be reminded that that's, you know, the narratives that exist are still there, right? We we hear things, again, like being so aggressive is so important and, and fighting and all these things and battling. And yeah, you want to battle and you want to fight and you want to keep pushing going. But these aren't always the most measurable things and they aren't always applicable to every situation. So I wanted to give a, a shout out to Swayman, who I don't think that that first goal was was really due to his depth. I thought he played that pretty well. I think that one just kind of snuck through and caught him off guard a little bit. Compared to some other interesting media things, there was a really nice breakdown by Henrik Lundqvist uh, yesterday during the Seattle-Colorado uh, game where he did a bit of a dive into the positioning habits and the stance habits of Grubauer, who, if you watch him compared to the other goalies in the playoffs, he is certainly the goalie with the most narrow stance. Uh, he might also be the most atypical mover. And what I mean by that is if you watch Philip Grubauer on a penalty kill or any prolonged in-zone play, you'll notice he kind of does this shuffle, jump, step thing as he moves across the ice. I don't know the exact name for it. I did not look it up. But it's it's that kind of like half shuffly jump, step thing that moves you across. Uh, I admittedly don't love it. But he does use it. And that is kind of the style of his game. But but what Lundqvist was talking about was when he's doing that or when he's moving around in general is that Grubauer stays very compact. And so I liked this discussion by Lundqvist because it, he didn't talk about his save percentage, his how aggressive he was, the clutch saves he's making. He just broke down the way that Grubauer plays throughout and what that allows him to be good at and what it makes more difficult for him. So because Grubauer plays really compact, on lateral chances and low to high chances, a lot of stuff doesn't really beat him under his arms as much, um, just because he works from inside out to his body. He's not a super reachy goalie as he moves across. He stays, like Lundqvist said, fairly compact. But that also means is on those lateral chances, those low to highs and those high to lows, is that pucks do find their way around him. And if you look at Grubauer's career statistics, you'd see that he gives up a lot of goals from the glove side compared to other places on the ice. Part of that might be that weird shuffle step I mentioned where he's not just quite getting into the right position because of that. Other parts could be the fact that he is more compact. And so pucks that might hit a goalie who's a little bit bigger and a little bit reachier uh, don't quite hit him the same way. Or it could be none of that and there could be a lot more. I did a bit of deep dive over the holidays back in December looking at Grubauer some video. And truthfully, he misses his angles a decent amount on lateral plays. But I think that's something that happens to a lot of goalies. And so while I thought that might be a bit of a reason that Grubauer lets in some funky goals sometimes on rush plays or even some in-zone laterals, uh, it turns out that that might just be an NHL problem. And I know that if anyone follows Jamie on Instagram or myself on Instagram, we're semi-regularly putting out a picture where we see a goalie letting a goal in the NHL where they're just entirely off their angle. And you know what? That happens at all ages. And as much as we want to minimize it, maybe it's not just a Philip Grubauer thing. The last thing I wanted to also say is that there's been a lot of talk past couple years about how Grubauer has struggled since being in Seattle. Uh, I am a Grubauer apologist, but first of all, yeah, he has definitely not been nearly as good uh, as he was early in his career when he was in Seattle. But if we look at Grubauer from 2013 to 2021, every season he had, except for a tiny little blip in the 2018-2019 season, or sorry, 2017-2018 season, every other part of his career leading up to his time in Seattle, he performed greater than what we would expect. So his save percentage and the shots he was letting in were better than what we'd expect. When he went to Seattle, that totally flipped, uh, where he was letting in a lot more goals than we predicted that he would. 
I say we, but but you know the the way statistical models look at uh, how valuable each shot is, and I'll talk about that in a second. But the one thing I did want to mention is that Grubauer in the playoffs in the first round here was been excellent, and actually since Christmas or December of this year, he's been excellent as well. And so, well, it's important to acknowledge that you know the past two seasons in Seattle haven't been super kind to Grubauer. He's been really good the past few months, and so I think that's really important. Next thing I wanted to dive into is understanding expected goals. And when I say expected goals, that is what I'm talking about when we're looking at the advanced models. So when I was just talking about how Grubauer has done better than expected, that's what I'm referring to. So for those who don't know, uh, an expected goal is a value that we assign to a shot. And I'm going to explain why this is important in a second, but we're going to talk about expected goals from the first round of the playoffs and how that is different from save percentage. But expected goals gives us at least a bit better of an idea of shot quality. It also gives us a better idea of, of individual goalie performance. Because one thing that Jamie and I talk about a lot is that save percentage is a team statistic. Now, a goalie is part of that team, right? So a goalie can have an influence on save percentage overall. But for the most part, there's a ton of team influence in save percentage. So when we're evaluating goalies, talking about how goalies are playing, we want to use some of these advanced stats, things like expected goals. And so like I was saying just a second ago, using different types of models and different people have uh, tried to use this during different information. But the general idea is that if we take 100 shots that all have the same quality and the same criteria, let's say it is a one-timer from the top of the circle, where there is a pass from the top of the blue line. So blue line to the top of the circle, one time or shot. If we take 100 of those exact situations, we would have a, a percent of the time that that puck goes in. So we have a, a, the amount of times that shot results in a goal, right? And so let's say it's 30%. That means that every time that shot happens in a game, we give it a value of, of 0.3 goals because we know that you know out of 100 times, 30 will go in. So... 0.3 out of 1 gives us that expected goal value. And that allows us to really understand the types of chances that teams are giving up, not just shots, but the quality of chances. And although it's not perfect, it gives us a better idea of what each goalie is dealing with. And so I pulled up a few different models. So there's some public models. And what that means is people who take the public NHL information um, they do some fancy statistics worth it, and they get out these different expected goal models. And so there's different values um, from different people who do these because they each think that some different amount of information is more valuable than others. And so there's, again, even when we're using statistics, uh, sometimes there is still some opinion and influence or some personal kind of evaluation of that. And so I have three different public models pulled up to talk about the goaltending from the first round. But the first thing I wanted to say is that as a whole, so after the first round, with the exception of the New Jersey and New York game, uh, on average from the ineffective math, hockey viz data, which is Micah Blake McCurdy, I talked about him before in the podcast. If you look at the expected goals for the NHL in the first round, it's hovering just above the amount of real goals. Um, that's happened, which tells us tells us that on average, goalies are stopping about what we expect. It's a tiny bit down. So I think roughly, if I'm pulling eyes off this chart properly, it looks like if we were to imagine 100 expected goals overall, like I just talked about, like 100 uh, expected goals with the shots, 
right now the NHL in that first round let in about 102, 102 and a half actual goals, which tells us that goaltending is pretty close, uh, pretty close to about where we expect. Because on average, we would expect about 100 goals on 100 expected goals, uh, assuming that things are all equal that way. Um, but what's interesting is that some of the big name goalies that we would expect to be doing a little bit better actually struggled in that first round. So people like Andre Vasilevsky and Connor Hellebuck, who admittedly didn't uh, underperformed their expected goals. So they let in more goals than what this model thought should go in. Now, there's a few things to keep in mind from this as well, though. And it's that Vasilevsky played six games and his team gave up 184 shots while he was playing those games. Now, which means he's getting about 30 shots a game, which is a right around league average for the regular season. But what's interesting is he was expected to face around 18, 18 and a half expected goals per game, which means, you know, on average, Toronto was getting over or close to over three expected goals per game, which means they're creating a lot of offense. So it's not overly surprising that, in a, in a six-game series, especially one where there is a lot of chaos up and down the ice, that his numbers are a little bit down. Uh, if we look at comparatively Sam Sonov, he hovered right around that average mark um, where he gave up about as many goals as we'd expect him to. So in that series, can you say that Sam Sonov outplayed Vasilevsky? Using expected goals maybe a little bit. Um, they face similar expected goals. So Samsonov might have just outplayed, but it's also a really small sample size. When you only have six games, it becomes hard to evaluate that. And and again, like I was saying before, is the shot quality um, was pretty high, right? So Samsonov faced six more shots uh, and faced about the same expected goals. So maybe on average shots were a little bit harder for Vasilevsky, but not too much. If you look at something like Connor Hellebuck, faced 158 shots in five games, um, which is a lot of shots, right? So he was not only busy, but he also expect, faced just under 15 expected goals. So again, similar to Vasilevsky, about three expected goals a game, which means there's a, a decently high amount of high danger chances or high expected goal value chances on Hellebuck every game. And so it's not surprising, like I said before, that a couple, you know, a couple of those really dangerous chances go in that maybe over a season you get a couple of those back and that shifts everything. When we just have this small sample size that we see in the playoffs, it can be tricky. But what is important to understand is that there's a lot of goalies who are, are outperforming too. So we talked about um, people saying that goaltending stopped been great in the playoffs so far. I think we're allowing ourselves to be a little bit influenced by just the variance, right? So again, people like Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Allmark, Bobrovsky, they let in more goals than we're expecting them to. But then we have people like Igor Shosturkin and Jake Ottinger and Philip Grubauer are just talking about who are really, really outperforming what we would expect them to as well. So they're kind of, it, it all averages out in a weird way. And when we only have a few games to go off of, it's it's natural for goalies sometimes to, on a small stretch, not be as good as they normally would maybe, or not be as good as they would look in an entire season. But it's hard to say that they're necessarily really bad. They're It's just a, it's just a stretch. There's a lot of natural variance in hockey. So I've introduced expected goals. I think it's a better statistic than save percentage. It's still not perfect. There's still a lot of stuff that can go into it and, and make it tricky to evaluate how hard a shot really is. Um, sometimes all the data we have is is not even the best with all that we have. But another way that we can look at it is this idea of trying to to rank shots. But And what are you ranking shots? I mean, by categorizing them, using expected goals as like a high danger shot, 
versus a medium danger shot versus a low danger shot. I think naturally when someone says, oh, that's a, a high danger scoring chance, we think of, you know, the backdoor two on one, um, the one timer in the slot. And those definitely are, but there's a lot of chances that actually end up being more high danger chance than we think. And that's like a really close tip with a screen like that is a really, really good play and a really hard hard play to stop for a goalie. I think we've seen quite a few screen tips in the playoffs so far. And I think anyone that's been a net or a coach or a parent, anytime a shot comes from the point with three people in front and it hits a person or hits a stick, I think we all collectively sigh because we know how difficult that is to handle that. But I wanted to talk before we get into some more advanced danger things. I want to talk a little bit about just general save percentage because people love, and I mentioned before, people love save percentage to say like, all oh, this goalie's doing poorly because they're under X save percentage. And I think that does a really big disservice to what's actually going on. I think without more information, without more detail, you don't really know anything. It's just what type of shots actually made it on net that game. It ignores all shot attempts. Uh, ones that just miss the net or ones that a goalie forces a player to not shoot on because they're doing everything right. I think it's important to acknowledge that those exist as well. But even just with save percentage in the NHL, right? If we want to just use that, we can look at the Rangers Devil series. Shesterkin has a 9.39 as of Monday afternoon. Schmidt has a 9.37. Ottinger 9.21. Grubauer 9.26. Sorokin 9.24. So I don't like save percentage, but there's a lot of goalies who are performing on our most basic statistic really, really well right? That's a really good start. And like I said, I'll keep saying it. Save percentage is an okay statistic. It's not a bad statistic. It's an okay statistic. Uh, and goalies do have an influence on it, but it is largely team driven. And I think a really interesting example of that is I'm using data here from naturalstattrick.com. I'm looking at all strengths. So five on five, PK, power play, all that stuff. And they have a metric that they use called high danger save percentage so what they classify as high danger scoring chances um, and i did a little work earlier in february trying to highlight which goalies uh, were performing well during the regular season um, and what i found is that goalies who had over a 75 percent high danger scoring chance are doing pretty well now natural stat trick uh, is a little more generous with what they call a high danger scoring chance than i am so these numbers are a little bit higher but if we look at the first round, Shesterkin's at almost a 900 save percentage on high danger chances, right? So he's having an incredible series. But if we look at someone um, who we say struggled in Andre Vasilevsky, he actually had an 823 high danger scoring chance percentage, right? He was making a lot of really, really difficult saves. Um, it just happened that he had 161, sorry, 184 shots against, like we mentioned before, 62 of them were high danger. So when one in three of your shots are high danger, scoring chances against or high danger shots against, your save percentage is likely naturally going to go down. Now, Shesterkin, on the other hand, is about the same, right? So he has 68 high danger shots against and 180 shots. So he's unbelievably outperforming, but that's a really good example of a goalie who's really, really outperforming. But I think it's wrong to say that that Vasilevsky was really bad. I think there was times where he struggled. I think there was times Tampa Bay really struggled, but calling him bad from that series, I think would be a disservice to that. And I think if we go along that list, we've actually seen really good goaltending across the board in high danger scoring chances. There's just some teams that give up a lot more than others. Another good example is Judas Corpusalo in six games. He had 203 shots against, but 69 according to natural stat trick were high danger chances. 
right? That is a lot of high danger chances, right? Just over one in three. Um, and so obviously goals are going to go in, right? He finished with an 892 save percentage. He had an 87% high danger uh, save percentage, right? He gave out 22 goals, nine of which were considered high danger. Um, so maybe, maybe do we think he could have been a little bit better on those low danger ones or medium danger chances? And we'll get into that in a second. Maybe, but it's important to acknowledge that he's making a lot of big saves and just the pure volume that you're dealing with as a goalie stuff is going to go in after a while, right? So when teams are generating more and more and more high danger chances, eventually over enough time, they're going to score. And so it's unsurprising to see that happen. If we slide over to moneypuck.com, they're another place that has another model that looks at this. They do um, something, they do their stats a little bit different. Their high danger shots, what they look at is unblocked shot attempts. So if a player takes a shot, and it either is saved or misses the net, it gets counted. It gets counted on this list. It doesn't get counted if it's blocked. If we start looking at these numbers, what we start seeing uh, is a bit of a different story, but we saw that Alexander Georgiev, 84% on high dangers. Connor Hellebuck, 80%. Akira Schmidt, 80%. Grubauer, 79%. Sorokin, 78%. And so there's been a lot of really good goaltending. What's really interesting is I just told you that, according to Natural Statric, uh, Igor Shosturkin had a 90% high danger scoring chance. On Money Puck, it's down to 70%, uh, which is interesting. It's it's a big it's a big change, but that just goes to show that how we evaluate stuff can look really differently. Does it mean that he's um, doing really worse? No, because if you slide over to his medium danger save percentage, he's at 95%, which just tells us that there's a bit of a different cutoff between high danger and not high danger between the two models, between the two sites. But what this does tell us and what we can look at is that the goaltending in the playoffs is really good. So I mentioned before, I did a bit of a bit of a dive into the regular season to look at what goalies were performing well, what did league trends look like, and what did high performers across the league look like. And so I use data from moneypuck.com. So we're going to use the data again for the playoffs from them. From the little work that I did, I found that on low danger scoring chances, most goalies are about the same. They they hover around this like 97% mark. Um, and that's been the same in the playoffs, right? We've got uh, Grubauer at 98, Sorokin 98, Gustafsson 98, Allmark 97, Shesterkin 98. You get it. Low danger scoring chances, goalies are pretty even, right? Out of 100 shots, three might go in. They might squeak through. Weird stuff happens. Maybe it's a bit of a screen. Maybe it's just a funny one that catches them. But everyone's pretty consistent. So my research said over 97% was about where we'd expect. And sure enough, that's what we saw. When I looked at the same in, in medium score chances, what I saw was that goalies performing above 88% on medium score, medium dangerous scoring chances were performing really well. And we actually had some goalies really outperform that. So Georgiev at 91%, Schmidt at 92%, Allmark and Brosswood at 89%, Shesterkin, like I said before, 95%. There's been a lot of good goaltending. Um, so it's, 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 I'm not sure where the narrative around goalies struggling, you know, this goalie struggled in this game, goalie struggled in this game. I'm having a hard time finding that. And then when we even move across to those high danger chances, right? The number that I found was about 75%. And what do we have? Again, we got, like I mentioned before, 80, 80, 79, 78, 76. And we do have some people just hovering above 70, right? Ottinger, Shesterkin, and Broswit. With this money puck has Vasilevsky down at 60%, Samsonov down at 58%. So are they really struggling or or is there just a high volume of these high chances that are going in? 
And I think what we see, and like I said before, in these small sample sizes, you deal with lots of variance. And what I mean is that you can have a game with 25 shots again, and 10 of them are high danger and four go in. So now you've let in four goals on 25 shots, but a 60% high danger save percentage and, and now it looks like it's a quote-unquote bad game even though the rest of the game was played about as perfect as it can get and that's the problem when we look at individual games yes sometimes players obviously don't play their best in that exact moment but that's natural not everyone's going to have their best game seven games in a row or these amazing games seven games in a row but i'm i'm finding it hard to say that the goaltending in that first round has been bad if anything i'm actually pretty impressed with it um Definitely impressed with a 95% medium dangerous scoring chance or save percentage from, from Igor Shosturkin. That's actually pretty wild. The last thing I wanted to, to end here, and I kind of going away from the numbers because we just talked a lot of different numbers and what I expect and how it can look different in a lot of different ways. The last thing I want to talk about is this narrative of goalies being clutch or goalies making a timely save. That's what you hear a lot is you just need your goalie to make that save in that moment. Like the the ones who can make that save, they're the difference makers. And I think it's r- naturally we want to assign that to goalies, right? Oh, that goalie's clutch. They always play amazing in the big moments. Or they always make that save when we need to. They don't let in that, that t- goal at the wrong time. But there's no better or worse time to give up a goal, right? Like I think we think a goal with one minute left in the third period of tie game is way worse than that same goal being given up one minute into the first period. But that's just our emotions and what we feel about it, right? You never want to give up a goal anyway. Goaltending, unfortunately, is this reactive position, right? We can only make saves on the plays that happen in front of us. We can't force or create a big save. We can only respond. And so when we're dealing with that, there's naturally going to be times where we're going to make a couple big saves at the end of the game and everyone's going to remember those. But the two goals you let in earlier might not have felt as bad or if I, does they just feel different because we're assigning different emotional value to it. At the end of the day, those goals still went in at the same time or those goals didn't go in at the same time. And I think that's something that's really important to remember is that this idea of, of being clutch or making timely saves, do your best to just throw it to the window, right? Our goal here, our job here is to make every save as it comes to us. And I spent a lot of time today talking about medium danger versus high danger, but your job as a goalie is to stop just whatever comes at you, right? And whether that's with two minutes left in the third period or it's five minutes into the second period, your job is to keep that puck out. And so don't let yourself fall into the trap of a goalie being clutch or the goalie who makes the big saves. And if that's something that you want to believe about yourself, that's okay, but also take pride in that entire 60-minute game. It's not just those high-stress moments. It's how we perform throughout the entire time. Because at the end of the day, goalies are going to let in low danger chances. I just talked to you that every single person in this playoffs has given up a low danger goal here. So it's natural that those are going to happen. And those could happen at any time too, right? Those could be the ones that go in with one minute left or or one minute into the first period. And so overall, I just want to summarize by saying that goaltending in the playoffs has been pretty good. It's definitely been a high danger, heavy postseason lots of good quality chances um shots overall like lots of high rush chances and lots of just high quality or medium quality chances going across every single game and every single series and so to understand now that goalies overall performed pretty well or continue to perform pretty well it's i'm impressed by that i'm excited to see it. i even though with all the goals we've seen you can still pull that goalies are they're doing their job for the most part they're making the saves that so they're supposed to make and so i think we can i think we can pull back 
on blaming the goalies a little bit right now. And and while obviously I love to defend uh, the goalies that I like and the goalies that I'm watching, and just maybe goalies in general, I think when we look at the data, it's it's important to see that that overall goalies are performing fairly well. Um, and so don't be too quick. Don't be too quick to assume that goals are, are bad. And Jamie and I have talked about what a bad goal looks like. Don't be too too quick to assume that that wrist shot with a flash screen from the top of the circle is a bad goal because you have a screen, you have traffic, you have a quick release, it's a rush, and next thing you know, it's a goal, right? And I think we don't always appreciate all the moving parts that go into some of those goals sometimes. But that's all I got for you this week. A uh, little bit dive into the numbers. The goalies are performing well. Schmidt and Shesterkin running away with it, but let's not forget important shoutouts to Philip Grubauer, important shoutouts to Sorokin and Ottinger and, and Gustafson, who are, again, Gustafson and Sorokin eliminated. But we got some really good goaltending that's moving forward into the next round, and uh, hopefully that only continues to stay the same. Now, let's all take this with a grain of salt. I mentioned that we've seen some save percentages as high as 939 and some in the 890s, but as we get more and more games, those numbers are probably going to come closer together will probably trend towards like a 915 or 910 save percentage i'd imagine for the rest of the playoffs uh league average was somewhere around 905 to end the season in the regular season so don't be surprised if the tall numbers get a little bit lower and those bottom numbers get up a little bit higher we always expect the people back to kind of regress back to that midline and so as we get more games let's see if i'm right on that one there as always if you're listening on a podcast app or on youtube um, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and all those fun things that I just love talking about. But otherwise, folks, if you have any questions, you know where to find us. Uh, this podcast is sponsored and provided by Resilient Hockey, your premier online rehabilitation hockey experts. You can find us at rslnthockey.com. If you have any questions for us, as always, you can find Jamie or myself on Instagram and Twitter. And until next time, have a good week. 